to high schoolers as they have their lesson here tonight upstairs with the fans going. But Lord, we just want to be able to focus on your word. And uh, we want to, to come and enter into your heart just as we sang tonight. And we want to, to draw closer to the cross. We want to be reminded of your kindness and your goodness and your provision that was provided for us through the son of David, Jesus Christ. And so t- tonight, Lord, um, may we just uh, rejoice in the word that we're hearing, make application, have our ears open, and uh, Lord, be teachable. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. And so David here at this time in his reign is at the height of his reign. He's, he's really being blessed by the Lord. Matter of fact, chapters 5 through 10, we see that very clearly. And David is defeating his enemies all around him. We know that David's name is becoming great among the nations because the Lord is with him. And David is being blessed tremendously. There's prosperity that has taken place in the nation. And so things are going well for David right now. And in chapters 5 through 10, we're going to see that in these two chapters as well, that that's going to continue as David is going to go war against the Syrians and defeat them and against the Ammonites. But then in chapter 11, we're going to see that David is going to fall into sin and difficulty is going to come to David. But at this time, David is, is there while he has rest. He's defeating his enemies. And he says, what can I do to bless the house of Jonathan? And the reason that he's saying this is because the closeness and the friendship that David had with Jonathan that we read about back in 1 Samuel. Now, you may recall um, that story of the relationship between David and Jonathan, but if you're new to the study of First and Second Samuel, I just want to remind you of it so this chapter makes sense to you. It was the nation that came and asked for a king, of course, and we know that it was the Lord that said to Samuel, who was the last of the judges leading the nation at that time, he said, Samuel, they haven't rejected you. The people didn't want Samuel's sons to be ruling over them, to be judges over them. So Samuel, they haven't rejected you, but they've rejected me. Because ever since I have brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, they have not really trusted in me. And of course, God wanted them to really rely on him, to trust in him. They were called Israel, which means governed by God. And God had given everything for them to be successful. He had given his covenant to them, the nation. He'd given them the ceremonial laws, the religious laws, the civil laws. He had appointed judges and uh, to hear cases. Everything was set up, and all they needed to do was walk in obedience and to allow the Lord to work in their midst. And one of the things that's really important for us to remember is you go through the history of the Old Testament, that the Lord said to the children of Israel when he was freeing them from Egypt that I am going to strike the Egyptians and the other nations are going to see that truly that I am the Lord. And as they would come out of Egypt and as he would part the Red Sea and drown the Egyptian army there in the book of Exodus, it would be the other nations that would hear about that story. We see evidence of that very clearly as we know that it was Rahab the harlot in Jericho that recounts that story when they first came into the land. It was even the Philistines that knew about what happened to Pharaoh and the Egyptians 
400 years later in 1 Samuel. So the children of Israel were to be a witness and a light to the other nations. But instead, they said, we want to be one that has a king like the other nations. And Samuel was grieved by that. The Lord said, they have rejected me and uh, they haven't really trusted in me. And I want to remind us at this time in our study that for us as Christians, the Lord desires for us to be a witness and a light to others in this lost world, to those who are in Egypt, to those who don't belong to him. And that's my prayer for every single one of us. It's my hope that we would keep in mind how the Lord has brought us out of Egypt, out of the world, how he has saved us. We have his word. He lives within us as we have the new covenant, uh, the Lord living in our hearts, writing his word in his ta- on the tablets of of our hearts and that we can be light and a witness to others and allow God to just rule over us as we surrender to him. So here was the first king that would be anointed, Saul, the king of Israel. And Saul was head and shoulders above everybody else. He was one that seemed to be humbled. He came from a a well-known, prominent family from the tribe of Benjamin. And he started out well as he was anointed king. And he had some early successes, but then something happened. Saul became disobedient to the Lord. He was focused on himself. He wanted to be seen of men, as we discovered traveling through 1 Samuel. And it was Saul that had a son named Jonathan. And Jonathan was a young man of faith. And David and Jonathan were very close. Jonathan, in chapter 14 of 1 Samuel, was the one that would sneak up to the garrison of the Philistines. The Philistines were ready to attack Israel. There was uh, Saul that was confused. The the people began to scatter. Uh, Saul's army was scattering. He didn't know what to do. He offered this unlawful sacrifice unto the Lord. He was disobedient. He thought he had to take matters into his own hands. But Jonathan was one that snuck over to the garrisons of the Philistines with his armor bearer. And he said, let's just see what the Lord might do, whether he will Save with few or with many, nothing restrains the Lord from working. And Jonathan would lead the army of Israel into victory that day, even though his father blew the trumpet and was trying to take the credit for himself. That Saul has defeated the Philistines when it was really Jonathan who had led the children of Israel into victory at that time. And so Jonathan was a a young man of faith that just trusted in the Lord, was used of the Lord. And you see, as we trust in him, as we look to him, as we just, you know, step out in where God has us to, we're going to experience great things in our lives. Do you know that? But if you're one that's wanting to, you know, be seen of men, you're wanting to elevate yourself, you're going to live a life of confusion just as Saul did. And that's what we see very clearly as you go through 1 Samuel chapter 14. So chapter 15, we see that Saul was told that the kingdom's going to be taken from you, given to another, and of course that would be David, chapter 16 of 1 Samuel, as he's anointed to king of Israel. He didn't ascend to the throne right away, as we know, and it would be David that was a young teenager at that time. Chapter 17, he kills the champion from Gath, Goliath. And David's name became great among the nation. And people were seeing David and God's hand on him. And so after that, David was persecuted by Saul. But it was David and Jonathan, Saul's son, that had this deep friendship. They had this bond. And they were ones that made a covenant with each other. And Jonathan recognized that David's 
was going to be king, that God's hand was upon him. And in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, verses 14 and 15, that covenant was made with David. And that's the reference here to chapter 9 of 2 Samuel. You see, it was Jonathan coming to David and saying, David, you're going to be the king. And show me kindness when you are of the Lord, while I still live that I may not die. But you shall not cut off your kindness from my house forever. No, not when the Lord has cut off every one of the enemies of David from the face of the earth. And now that David is king, that he has rest from his enemies, that God is blessing him, he says, I want to keep that covenant that I made with Jonathan. Jonathan and David, that special bond and relationship that they had in the Lord, their hearts were knitted together, and they were ones that loved each other in the Lord, just a special, special friendship and bond and relationship that's only found in the Lord. And I want to remind you once again that how special it is when we belong to the body of Christ, when you make relationships with that brother, with that sister, with 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 small groups, with others that encourage you, because Jonathan was one that came and ministered to David in a time of difficulty. Hey, David, I know you're going to be king. I know that my father is pursuing you and and desiring to do you in, but you are going to be king, and when you are king, will you please show kindness to my family? Because you see, when a new family, a new dynasty was started, such as David's dynasty, They would kill off in ancient times the old dynasty, and so that's the way it was. So that old family, that old dynasty, doesn't try to rebel against the new dynasty. And so Jonathan's saying, David, don't destroy my family. Don't do harm to them. Show kindness to them, and that's what David is doing. And so that special bond that they had, my prayer and hope again for all of us is that you develop those bonds and those relationships with others, that you have a Jonathan in your life. Because what a blessing it is when you do. And I know that we have a lot of new people here that are coming to Calvary Chapel, and I want to encourage you that you keep coming, you know, and develop those relationships and get to know people. We're going to be starting ladies' studies here uh, this fall in the first part of September. Men's study is going to start in August. Those are other opportunities. There's koinia groups that we mention every month. There's the church picnic that's taking place, men's breakfasts, ladies' events that take place all an opportunity for you to get to know somebody, for you to grow in relationship with others. And my hope and prayer is that you would have a Jonathan in your life. And I know this, that when I go through difficulties and when I go through trials, I am so thankful for the Jonathans that are here, that are here to build me up and encourage me, that help me, that, that pray for me. And, and the Jonathans that I have elsewhere. And I know that you are blessed as you develop those relationships as well. So David is saying, how can I show kindness to John, for Jonathan's sake? He wants to keep this covenant. And so we continue in verse 4, and there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba. So when they called him to David, the king said to him, are you Ziba? And he said, at your service. And the king said, is there still not someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. So the king said to him, where is he? And Ziba said to the king, indeed, he is in the house of Makar, the son of Amiel and Lodabar. So there is a son of Jonathan. We do know that Jonathan, he was killed at the end of 1 Samuel there on Mount Gilboa with his father, 
And you know, one of the sad things about David and Jonathan and their relationship is they never really had a chance to, to grow it and enjoy it in the way that they normally could have or should have because David was on the run. He very seldom saw Jonathan, and he wasn't with Jonathan when Jonathan died on Mount Gilboa, of course. David was over in Ziglag. He was hiding from Saul. So, so David never really got to enjoy that relationship with Jonathan. And so here is the son of Jonathan that is there. He's in um, the area east of the J Jordan River in Lodabar over on that side. The reason he's over there is because when the Philistines attacked at the end of 1 Samuel, recall they came deep into Israel's territory, and it was the people that fled over to the east side of the Jordan River. Now, we saw in 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4, that it was uh, Jonathan's son that we're going to be introduced to here in verses 5 and 6, his name Mehetosheth, that he was taken by his nurse. He's young at that time. Got to remember, this is almost 20 years later. And Mehetosheth, he was fleeing, and his nurse was carrying him, trying to get away from the Philistines, and she dropped him. There was an accident. And 2 Samuel chapter 4, verse 4 says that he was lame in his feet. And that's what we read about, verse 5. Then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machar, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Now when Mehithosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. And then David said, Mehithosheth, and he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you kindness for Jonathan's, your father's sake, and will restore you to all the land of Saul, your grandfather, and you shall eat bread at my table continually. And then he bowed himself and said, What is your servant that I should look upon such a dog, dead dog as I? So we see here that it is David that said to the servant, Ziba, Go and seek him out. Go and get him. I don't care if he's lame in his feet. David didn't ask him, how bad is it? You know, how lame is he? How sick is he? You know, is he worth anything? He didn't ask that. He just said, go and get him and bring him here. And when Mehetosheth comes, we see that he bows down to the king. He, he humbles himself. He falls on his face before the king. He thinks he's going to get his head lopped off is what he thinks. He thinks he's going to receive the judgment of David. And it's David there in verse 7, which is a very beautiful verse. David says, don't fear, for I'm going to show you kindness to you for Jonathan, your father's sake. And I'm going to restore to you your land. And you are going to sit at my table continually. I wonder what Mehithosheth thought when he heard that. There he is. You can imagine and picture it. He's, he's waiting for David to put his foot on his head and for his sword to come down on his neck. But all of a sudden, Mehithosheth, look at me. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. For your father's sake, <laughs> I'm going to show kindness to you. And I'm going to restore your land. And you're going to sit at my table continually. Mahithosheth is sitting there going, Who am I that, that I'm a dead dog? Who am I that you would do this for? The story continues. And the king called to Ziba, Saul's servant, in verse 9, and said to him, I have given to your master's son all that belonged to Saul and to all his house. 
You therefore and your sons and your servants shall work the land for him, and you shall bring in the harvest that your master's son may have food to eat. But Mehithosheth, your master's son, shall eat bread at my table always. Now Zeba was fifteen sons and twenty servants. Then Zeba said to the king, According to all that the Lord the king has commanded his servants, so your servant do. I'm sure that he said that with excitement. He said that with great joy. You bet we're going to do this. As for Mehithosheth, said the king, He shall eat at my table like one of the king's son. And Mehithosheth had a young son whose name was uh, Micah. And all who dwelt in the house of Ziba were servants of Mehithosheth. So Mehithosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. You know, it's a very beautiful story of David showing kindness to this one who was lame in his feet. But what I love about this story is as we make application here tonight, you see, we are Mehithosheth. And all of us, we were lame spiritually, weren't we? We were lame spiritually. And we were separated from God because of our sin. But the son of David, Jesus Christ, the greater than David, went to the cross for you and for me and shed his blood on Calvary's cross, made provision for you and for me, and now he shows kindness to us as he brings us and draws us to himself. He says, come to me so you can have forgiveness of sin and receive me, surrender your heart to me, and as you do, you have the hope of heaven, and one day you're going to sit at my table, the king's table, as we're going to feast with him. As we come like Mehithosheth did and we humble ourselves before the Lord. You see, we were deserving of judgment. But because of the kindness and the goodness and the grace of our Lord, now we have hope and we have real peace with God and we have relationship with the Father. And Jesus says, for my Father's sake, I went to the cross for you to show kindness to you so you can have forgiveness. And one day we're all going to be together at the marriage feast of the Lamb. When we go home to be with the Lord, when the Lord raptures his church, and then we have that marriage feast of the Lamb that's going to take place, we're all going to be together. I can't wait till we're all together. I can't wait for that day. I look so forward to that. When we are all together at the king's table and eating with him, at the marriage feast of the Lamb, that's our future. And what my prayer is that as we look at this very simple story of David's kindness, that as we are reminded of the kindness that has been given to you and to me by our Lord Jesus Christ, that it would cause us to rejoice. It would cause us every single day to be thankful. As Christians, we have reason to be thankful and to rejoice because we are going to sit at the king's table. And we are going to be with each other and with him for all eternity. We're going to rule and reign with him when he comes and establishes his kingdom. So kindness has been shown to you and to me. And now as we go into chapter 10, it's interesting that we see here that it's a contrast to chapter 9 because David wants to continue to show some more kindness here as we see that he wants to show kindness to the Ammonites. And it happened after this in verse 1 of chapter 10 that the king of the people of Ammon died and um, Hanun, his son, reigned in his place. So David said, I will show kindness to Hanun, the son of Nahash, as his father showed kindness to me. So David sent by the hand of his servants to comfort him concerning his father. And David's servants came into the land of the people of Hanun. So here is Hanan, his father Nahash, somehow showed kindness and sided with David. 
help David out. David here again is strong, and the nations know that he's strong. He sends ambassadors to, to uh, Hanan to show kindness, or that is to comfort a king in his time of loss of his father. There is some ties, remember, that the children of Israel have with the Ammonites, and that is back in the book of Genesis, Abraham's nephew Lot, well, um, his daughter, their descendants were the Ammonites. They've also had war with the Ammonites, as we have seen. But at this time, David is wanting to extend kindness outside of the covenant of Israel to the Ammonites here. So he sends these ambassadors to say, Hey, Hanan, I'm sorry for your loss. You know, we want to bring comfort to you. We want to be able to help. I'm sure David's wanting to show kindness. But then something happens. And what we see here is a contrast to chapter 9. And instead of Hanan humbling himself and receiving that kindness, he's going to resist it and he's going to reject it. We see in verse 3, And the princes of the people of Ammon said to Hanan their lord, Do you think that David really honors your father because he has sent comforters to you? Has David not rather sent his servants to you to search the city, to spy it out and to overthrow it? Therefore Hanan took David's servants, shaved off half their beards, cut off their garments in the middle at their buttocks, and sent them away. And when they told David, he sent to meet them because the men were greatly ashamed. And the king said, Wait at Jericho until your beards have grown, and then return. So here, some advisors of Hanan says, Do you think David really wants to bring comfort to you? Do you think really David cares about you because of your father? He's just sending spies out because he is defeating his enemies all around, and he wants to defeat you. He wants to war with you. So what they do, for some reason, they cut off the advisors, how many of them there were, we don't know for sure, but probably several of them, cut off half their beards, cut their garments to where their buttocks were exposed, and sent them away. It was the ultimate humiliation is what it was, an insult. I mean, having beards back 3,000 years ago in that area, in, you know, the Middle East, was very, very important for you to have. It, it showed that you are a man. It showed manhood, and it was very important that, that the men had those beards. It, it, it was a great symbol for them. Even today, 3,000 years later, in some parts of the Middle East, Orthodox Jews and others, that the beards are very important to have. And to shave off half of it and send you away from Ammon across the Jordan Valley to Jericho, it was a great humiliation, and plus, you know, being exposed the way that they were. So David comes along, he hears about this, and he comes to Jericho, and he tells the guys, you guys wait here. He gives them, obviously, new garments, and he says, listen, stay here until your beards grow back. And I just want to say this tonight. That perhaps some of us have gone through some times or we did something in our lives or, or something happened to us where we were embarrassed by it, we're shamed by it. We look back and, and maybe you were insulted greatly somehow. I don't know the experience that maybe you had. But I want to encourage you tonight and let you know that the beards will grow back. And that's what the Lord is all about. He desires to do restore to work in your life. And part of the forgiveness of the Lord is to take that guilt and that shame away. And, and maybe you've been insulted or persecuted. Whatever it is that you've experienced that has left some bitterness or shame or embarrassing to you, I want you to know this. The beards will grow back. 
and you just wait on the Lord. You just stay in that place where you're just being ministered to by the Lord's love and His grace and His mercy, and you keep growing, and you keep growing in Him. And He's going to do that work in you. And that's the wonderful thing about being a Christian is, is that not only are we forgiven, but he takes the guilt and the shame away. The, the things in the past we can put under the blood of Jesus Christ. Whatever it is that you have experienced in your life. And he gives us new garments, doesn't he? We are clothed with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. That we can bring glory and honor to him. The beards will grow back. And healing and restoration will happen as you allow the Lord to do that as you look to him. And so here is David. He tells them, stay here, and then you're going to return. In verse 6, the people of Ammon saw that they had made themselves repulsive to David. And the people of Ammon sent and hired the Syrians of Beth Rahab and the Syrians of Zobah, 20,000 foot soldiers. And from the king of Meheka, 1,000 men. And from Ishtab, 12,000 men. Now when David heard of it, he sent Joab and all the army of the mighty men. And then the people of Ammon came out and put themselves in battle array at the entrance of the gate. And the Syrians of Zobah and Beth Rahab and Ishtab and Mahekah were by themselves in the field. And when Joab saw that the battle line was against him before and behind, he chose some of the Israel's best and put them in battle array against the Syrians. So here's Joab. He's captain of David's army. He knows that the enemies are mounting. And here's the Ammonites say they allied themselves with the Syrians. Come and help us. And you see the battle lines are drawn as we read in verse 9. Joab knows that. The battle line is drawn. And you know what? The battle line's drawn for us. Because it is a spiritual battle out there. And the enemy is going to come against us. And we need to understand that. So once again, just as we discussed on Sunday, we need to make sure that we put on the whole armor of God, as Paul tells us there in Ephesians chapter 6, that we can be strong in the Lord. And here we see that as the battle lines are drawn, the rest of the people in verse 10, he put under the command of Abiasha, his brother, that he might set them in battle array against the people of Ammon. And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong for me, then you will help me. But if the people of Ammon are too strong for you, then I will come and help you. Be of good cheer, verse 12, and let us be strong for our people and for the cities of our God, and may the Lord do what is good in his sight. We are commanded to be strong in the Lord as we do spiritual battle ourselves. And the way to do that is to put on the whole armor of God. Have the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, the Word of God dwelling in your heart. And as the Word of God is in your heart, having it worked out in your life. But you know also how we can be strong in the Lord? I think we can make application here tonight. Here is Joab, his brother Abishai. And, and Joab says, listen, that as I lead my contingency of troops, let's help each other. Let's help each other. And as I go up against the Syrians, if, if they're too strong, brother, come and help me. And it's the same with you, Abishai, that if the Ammonites are too strong, then, then we'll come and help you. But surely we'll be strong in that way and we'll have victory. And one of the ways that also that we can be strong is we just have the whole armor of God on, but also the body of Christ as we are here to encourage each other and build each other up, to help each other out, because there are times where we can feel weak, isn't there? There are times where we feel like the battle is strong, and there are times I'm sure that maybe some of you have felt in your life, Lord, I don't know if I'm going to get through this. And that's why it's important that the body of Christ comes together. We're going to help you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to 
bless you. We're going to edify you. We're going to build you up. We're going to rally around you, and we're going to pray for you. Oh, I hope and pray that this place, Calvary Chapel, is a place like that. That when people are hurting, that we would be sensitive to that. We can live in a society right now that is so cynical and critical and, and always analyzing and scrutinizing and looking to get, you know, any kind of dig you can get in on somebody or whatever it might be. We just live in that kind of society today. We like to murmur. We like to complain. We want things our ways. We want it right now. And the body of Christ is not to be that way. That the body of Christ is to be about others, loving one another, looking not only for your own interest, but for the interests of others. It is seeing that brother or sister that is hurting to rally around them and to pray for them. And we have opportunity to do that. Folks, Calvary Chapel Greeley is your ministry. It's just not Pastor Jeff's ministry or Pastor Jim's or Pastor David's. It's your ministry as well. And you have opportunity to see those who are hurting, who are discouraged, who seem like the battle is really coming down on me. Hey, we're going to come. We're going to help. We're going to help. We're going to pray for you. We're going to encourage you. We're going to build you up. And that's where you're going to find strength. You're going to find strength here in the body. You'll find strength in families that take place when people rally around them. You're going to find strength in your life individually as the body of Christ gathers around you. So here is a very important principle that we see here. Let's help each other. Let's do that. Let's, let's get together as this battle is going to rage and how important it is for us as well in the body of Christ, especially in the day in which we're living in. And then he said, if the Syrians are too strong, uh, again, come and help and be of good courage. Verse 13, so Joab and the people who were with him drew near for the battle against the Syrians and they fled before him. And when the people of Ammon saw that the Syrians were fleeing, they also fled before Abiasha and entered the city. So Joab returned from the people of Ammon and went to Jerusalem. And when the Syrians saw that they had been defeated by Israel, they gathered together. Verse 16, then had Azar sent and brought out the Syrians who were beyond the river and they came to Halam and Shobach, the commander of Hadadezar's army, went before them. And verse 17 tells us, It was told David, he gathered all Israel, crossed over the Jordan, and came to Halam. And the Syrians set themselves in battle array against David and fought with him. And then the Syrians fled before Israel, and David killed 700 charioteers and 40,000 horsemen of the Syrians and struck Shobach and the commander of their army who died there. And when all the kings who were servants at Hadadazar saw that they were defeated by Israel, they made peace with Israel and served them. So the Syrians were afraid to help the people of Ammon anymore, all because of Hanan, who would not take the kindness, accept the kindness of David, instead rejected it. What a contrast to chapter 9. And you know what? There are people we know, don't we, that we care about, that we love, that don't know the Lord, and we give the gospel to them, we pray for them, and they're rejecting God's kindness right now. And I want to encourage you to keep praying for them. Keep witnessing. Be a witness with the way you live your life and the words that you speak. But we also know that part of the message of the Scripture is this, that if you reject God's kindness that comes through Jesus Christ and His provision, that there is judgment that's going to come. Just as the Syrians went through a time of defeat and judgment here by hand of David, we know that those who reject Jesus Christ and the cross and the provision 
of salvation that comes through him alone, that judgment is going to come. And that should set our hearts to pray more than ever, to be praying for those that we care about and live next to and work alongside of, praying for their salvation. Are we committed to doing that? And I hope that we here at Calvary Chapel are committed for praying for the lost here in Greeley, in Weld County, and, and the people that we have opportunity to reach. I pray that, that we would be ones that, Lord, that I have opportunity today to share maybe with that coworker, with that neighbor, with that person I go to school with, maybe a family member. Lord, help me to continue to share with them. But Lord, take the blindness away. Soften their hearts. Lord, I pray that they would come into salvation. Continue to intercede on behalf of the people that are linked to you in your life. And continue to do that. Because I believe the Lord's coming back soon. And life is short. And we know that the message of the gospel is salvation through Jesus Christ, but also condemnation to those who reject Jesus Christ. And so the Syrians went through a difficult time in chapter 11. Now keep in mind, here's what's happened. Just a few minutes in chapter 11, then we're going to end tonight. Like I said, just a little bit early tonight. But here's the thing about chapter 11. There's some unfinished business here. It was the Syrians that were defeated. Joab goes back to Jerusalem. But as Abba Ashai, as he is going against the Ammonites, they retreat, and they retreat to the city of Rabbah. And so chapter 11, it happened in the spring of the year, the time when the kings go out to battle, that David sent Joab and his servants with him in all Israel. And they destroyed the people of Ammon and besieged Rabbah, but David remained at Jerusalem. In the springtime, you see, they didn't do battles in the wintertime. In the wintertime, when it comes December uh, you know, through February, it's cold in Jerusalem. It snows there, and it's very wet, and the same in the mountains where the Ammonites are. So they don't have the, the cover, the protection 3,000 years ago that we do today. So they would go home. The armies would go home because if they went out to fight, you know, their battles in the wintertime when it's wet and they're exposed, uh, many of the men would die because of that. Not because of battle, but because of the weather elements and because of the rains and because how wet it is. And it would be very miserable. So they would go home and they had a season for battle when the spring would come once again. It's like the Civil War, when you study the history of the Civil War, that many of the men who died in the Civil War was because of the conditions of winter, because of the cold, and, and, and many of them died of, of hypothermia or diseases or pneumonia or something like that because of the harsh conditions of winter. And so here, here is Joab. He is sent to go and finish up, mop up Rabbah, and to defeat the Ammonites. And it is the time where it says here in verse 1, that the kings were to go out to battle, but David stayed behind. And most of you know that chapter 11 here is the famous chapter where David sinned with Bathsheba. And as we're going to look at this chapter more closely and just kind of setting the stage for it tonight, we're going to see a man who is being blessed by the Lord, who is prospering in the things of God, who God has blessed his life so much, and then we're going to see that all of a sudden he falls into sin, and we're going to talk about that. And here's David. Here's the first thing that we see. He should have been out doing battle. When the king should be out to battle, that David didn't, and he sent Joab his servants with him. And I believe what we're going to see here is that David got sloppy. He got lazy. He got very comfortable, and he says, Job, you go and finish up. I'm going to kick back here in Jerusalem. 
when he should have been doing battle. I think it's a reoccurring theme that seems to kind of keep coming up in our lessons and and maybe perhaps we need to be reminded of constantly that, you know what, things can be good in your life. And when they are good, don't go into a state of being apathetic or lethargic spiritually or sleepy spiritually or just putting it in cruise control. Just kicking back and more concerned about being comfortable. The Lord desires for us to continue to do battle. And David should have been out with his troops, with his men doing battle. But instead, he kicked back and he ends up falling into sin. He got comfortable. And that is a time where we can be very, very vulnerable. It's when things are going good. And we put it into a place where we're not concerned about the things of God like we used to. We're not really engaged in prayer. We're not really engaged in Bible study. We're no longer serving the Lord like the way that we could have or should have, but instead just more concerned about being comfortable, and that's where we can be vulnerable, and that's what happened with David. And I think there's some other things that were happening to David as well as we look at this, and we'll talk about that. But David is going to look. He's going to see Bathsheba, and he not only sees her, but then he beholds her, and then he's going to inquire of her, and then he's going to send with her. And those are the steps that we see David takes in in the falling with sin. And even though he was told that this is Bathsheba, David, don't you know this is Bathsheba? The, the, the you know, this is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the, the wife of, of, you know, of, you know, her husband, that <laughs> Uriah the Hittite. It was coming. <laughs> this is, don't you know who she is? I don't know who she is, but. <laughs> this is the daughter of Eliam. You know, we're going to talk about who Eliam is next week, but I'll give you a little bit of hint. Did you know Eliam was the son of Ahithophel? Do you know who Ahithophel was? He was David's trusted advisor. I think that David, and we'll talk about it again, was closer to Ahithophel than he was to Jonathan. We know that Eliam was one of David's mighty men, and Uriah was one of David's mighty men. And David didn't care. And the people that were close to him, that he cared about, his flesh overruled him. So my prayer is that we look at this very carefully next week. And it's one of the strongest stories in the Old Testament of giving us a warning what can happen to us even though we may be like David has a heart after God. But what can happen if we just allow those things the flesh to rule over us we can walk into sin and how it happens and what can be taking place in our lives if we just put it in cruise control and we're not staying close to the Lord. Just as Peter, he followed the Lord from a distance. Remember we talked about that and what happened? He failed miserably. And David here is going to allow his flesh. You see, his greatest enemy wasn't the Philistines. It wasn't the Ammonites. It was his flesh. And it's going to come out some of those things that were in his heart. What my prayer is tonight is we just spend some time in prayer. If there's anything in your heart that is not right with the Lord, 
an attitude, maybe a struggle, maybe there's sin that's there, maybe there's carnality, whatever it is. Don't continue in it, but give it to the Lord. And allow the Lord to minister to you and strengthen you. He wants you to confess it and draw you to himself so you don't have to fall into sin in the way that David did here. You may love the Lord, but you have struggles. You may love the Lord, but there's attitudes that aren't right. You may love the Lord, but Lord, I need to get right with you tonight. And don't leave this place till you do. Because David is going to not only fall into sin, but he's going to experience great consequences because of it. So Father, we come tonight. We come tonight, and we thank you for this wonderful text that has been given to us as we read about the kindness of David and we're reminded once again of the kindness that you show to us. The kindness of Jesus Christ, the son of David, who came and went to Calvary's cross, died for our sins. And so, Lord, I thank you that, that we can rejoice every single day because Jesus, he made provision for us as he went to Calvary's cross.